Nothing like a little Motley Crue on Sunday morning, huh? So, <laughs> well, good morning, Living Stones. It is great to have uh, all of you here. It is uh, just wonderful just to be worshiping with our church family. I want to thank you just for spending part of your Sunday uh, with us today. Um, it has been just a gorgeous weekend. I hope you've been able to get out and enjoy some of it. And uh, we are continuing our series today that we are calling LSC Wrestling. And, and it really, it, it's, it's a fun series that, that we kicked off last week, just talking about, like, there, there's a lot of things in Scripture. There's a lot of things in our just Christian walk that we have that don't feel really clear-cut. There's a lot of gray areas. There, there are, without a doubt, there are definitely some areas that, that are totally black and white. But then there's a lot of things that we just kind of have to wrestle through. We have to struggle with what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus in this day and age that, that we live in right now. And, and I began this series last week, uh, Liz already even alluded to it a minute ago, um, I, just kind of talking about the debate about whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not. And I, I, I forgot to, to share with you the, the stats about it last week, that the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council did some polling. And they, compi they, they compiled the, their, their poll data and said, 65% of Americans say that a hot dog is not a sandwich. 35% say it is. So all I can say is thank God for the internet. That, that, we ha that we have a place that we can endlessly debate meaningless topics with people we don't know. It it's, it's, it's a, I was going to say it's a wonderful thing. I, I need to think on that. Um, and, but <laughs> anyways, there, there's a, a great podcast that, that I want to kind of inform you about that talks about some of these types of hard-hitting subjects like is a hot dog uh, a sandwich that where, where they kind of debate some of these issues and and when I was back in college I was a big fan of the Daily Show with Don John Stewart and and if you have watched the Daily Show at all there they have different comedians that are what they call correspondents in this fake news uh, this fake news show that they have and there was, a, there was a correspondent back in the day, his name was John Hodgman, and I don't know if any of you ever remember hearing John Hodgman, but he has a podcast now, and it's called Judge John Hodgman, where, where he takes like these completely stupid, ridiculous topics of the day, and he gives his definitive ruling on what the, what the answer is, what, what, it, what is the, the correct response to some of these. And, and some of them are you know, just these stupid internet debates, other times people will write in and ask him to render a verdict on some meaningless piece of just American life. And there, there was one that uh, a, a lady wrote in to Judge John Hodgman and was saying, asking him to settle a dispute between her and her husband, that when it came to pulling the eggs out of the egg carton, they were, there, there was strife in their, in their marriage because her, her philosophy was, all right, I'm going to take one egg from this end, one egg from this end, one egg from this end, one to, to make sure that it was balanced. But her husband, what he would do is he would take eggs from one side and work his way down the line. And, and they, they had this, this debate, they had this argument about what is the proper way to pull eggs from the egg carton. Now, now I just want to kind of take an informal poll of our church here. If you are one that kind of takes it from opposite ends to make sure that there is balance, let me hear from you right now. Okay, if you are one that you start on one end and you make your way down the other end, let me hear from you. 
Okay? If you are an egg carton anarchist and you have no rhyme or reason and you just pull randomly, let me hear from you. Okay? <laughs> Man, that's a toss-up in this crowd. I, I <laughs> well, ultimately, Judge John Hodgman said that they need to have a his and hers egg container so that they can each, they can each pull eggs from their carton in the way that they deem fit. But... Again, it's just another stupid, silly example of things that we wrestle with. But, but I shared last week, um, as, as we kicked off this series, uh, a portion of Scripture from the message paraphrase that is kind of like a, a theme verse for this series. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees it, knowing him directly just as he knows us. That there are things in this world that as we are living this life that are not cut and dry. There are things that we wrestle with. There are things where, where you know, we, we do our best to try to follow after, after Jesus and live in a life that is honoring to him. And yet there's times where it feels like we're peering through a fog, that we're looking through, through a mist, and, and we're wrestling with what does it look like to live a life of faith in this fallen world that we have right now. And so this morning we're going to deal with a topic that's obviously of, of way greater consequence and one that is much more difficult to live out in our everyday lives than where do you pull eggs from your egg carton. And there, there's a passage in Hebrews that I want to share as we start today's message that, that really kind of frames this um, debate, frames this struggle, frames this wrestling match for us today. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And the writer of Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God, and he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. The, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus ran this race just like you and I. That was, that was one of the amazing things about the incarnation, that Jesus, God, became flesh, and he became human just like you and I, that he experienced all of the things in this life that you and I experience as well. But the writer of Hebrews tells us, he says, study how Jesus did it. Watch his example. Watch how Jesus lived this life. Watch the example that he set. And then pattern your lives after that. And I want to focus on something that Jesus said as he hung on the cross. And it's something that every one of us in this room that we need to do. We, we would, everyone in this room would recognize and say, yes, this is something that I, that I have to do. It's something that I have to incorporate into my life. But actually putting it into practice is way more difficult than just saying it. That Jesus, he had been betrayed. He had been beaten. He had been scourged. He had been tried in, in, a, in an illegal monkey trial. The crown of thorns was placed on his head. He had his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. And, and once they, they hoisted the cross up and they, and they stuck it down into the hole in the ground, the very first thing that Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross in Luke's gospel, he said, Father, forgive them, 
for they don't know what they're doing. The very first thing that he said as he was hanging on the cross, I, I, found it, I find it fascinating that not only did Jesus offer forgiveness to people that were, that were putting him to death, not only was he asking and praying forgiveness for them in that moment, but it was the very first thing that he said as he was on the cross. Like It's one thing to offer forgiveness to somebody who's maybe you know, 20 minutes late meeting you for lunch or maybe they stand you up. It's another thing to offer forgiveness to people who are trying to take your very life. And I would suggest to us today that, and just something for us to chew on this morning that when we are going through the worst times in our life, that we would put that same thing into practice, that the very first thing that we would be willing to do, the very first thing we would be willing to say is, Father, forgive them, offering and extending forgiveness to release the hurt, release the pain from everyone who's tried to do something against us. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that, that our, our mandate, in a way, is, is to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. And, and this, this is a hard thing because we all know people like this where it seems like their spiritual gift in this world is to make your life a living headache. Like we, we all know people like that, that, that regardless, no matter what is going on, they're just that thorn in your side constantly that you can't, that you can't quite get rid of. And, and if, if, if you're sitting next to that person, don't make it too obvious that you're talking, that you're thinking about them but this idea of forgiving those who have wounded us, those who have hurt us, is such a big thing that Jesus even included it in the Lord's Prayer. When, when he set his prayer model of error, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. And there was an element of that where he said, forgive others. God, just as you have forgiven me. And, in, and this is a message that, that I think we, we probably can't hear often enough because... Jesus talks repeatedly about there's going to be offenses. That, like we are, we are constantly going to be hurt by other people. When we are walking through and living life with others, when, when you're in close proximity, you're going to be hurt regardless. In Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus said, and then many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. And what an encouraging verse that is, huh? Luke 17, 1. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. That no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we might try to insulate our lives, there are going to be people in our life that do wound us, that do hurt us, that offense will come. There is no getting around it. And the sad reality is, and we all know this in the room, that, that unforgiveness doesn't hurt the offender. It doesn't hurt the person that wounded you. Unforgiveness actually hurts ourselves. It poisons us. It affects us in, in that way. And, and it destroys those of us that are holding on to the offense. It destroys us from the inside. The writer of Proverbs says it like this in Proverbs 18, 19. It says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Like the barred gates of a citadel. Like the, the doors are completely locked saying, all right, I'm not going to let anybody in. It's much, it's much easier for me to sit back and, and to protect myself, to not, let, to not open myself up to hurt once again. And so I'm going to close myself off 
to others. I, I, like, I, I love history. I, lo- I love reading history books. And, and I, I read, this was a, a little while back, I, I read a, an account of, of Oliver Cromwell, who lived in England in the 1600s. And I, I'm going to give you the very, very short Cliff Notes version of this. But essentially, he, he kind of led a, a rebellion of, of an overthrow of the monarchy and the royalists that supported King Charles I. And King Charles I, he was put on trial. He ended up being sentenced to death. And there were 59 men that ended up signing his death warrant, in a way. And King Charles I was, was executed. And, and for 11 years, Oliver Cromwell's group essentially kind of took over. They led. But eventually, the royalists came back into power after 11 years. And King Charles I, his son, King Charles II, ended up coming, ascending to the throne. And he wanted to get back at those that had his father executed. Cromwell, at this point, had died. A number of the, the people that had signed his death warrant had passed away by, by this point. And King Charles II, on the 12th anniversary of the execution of his father, had the bodies of Cromwell and some of his compatriots exhumed. And he essentially like put them on trial, had the, the dead corpses mutilated, had them hanged, cut off Oliver Cromwell's head and literally put it on a pike outside of Westminster Hall. Like, I, I mean, you, like you talk about what unforgiveness does to you. Like, I, I mean, it, 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 and this is an extreme example, but, but if we don't deal with unforgiveness, it grows and it grows and it gets worse and worse. And, and Jesus, he sets the example for us about how we deal with this. Now, if there was ever somebody who ever had a, a reason, who ever had a justification for, for holding on to a grudge and holding on to unforgiveness, it would be Jesus. Somebody who, had, somebody who lived a completely sinless, perfect life and constantly had people doing things to him. Not, not, not just at the end of his life, of his earthly life, but throughout his life, throughout his ministry, there were people that said and did terrible things to him. And there's a passage in Hebrews that, that says that Jesus experienced all the same things that we experience in this life. We're going to actually come to that in just a little bit. And in the short period of time, from, from the time that, that Jesus had his, his last supper with his disciples to the, to the moment that he was crucified on the cross, there, there, there were five things that, that we can look at that Jesus experienced, five sources of offense, five sources of hurt, that not only did Jesus walk through in those several hours, but every single one of us in this room have dealt with in one capacity or another. That Jesus walked through the same exact things that we face. And so I, what I want you to do, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down and think, when have I dealt with these same exact things? And so the, the first one, the first source of offense that Jesus dealt with was betrayal. Betrayal. Jesus, Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, like one of his own, one of his 12 closest friends, his 12 disciples, that Jesus spent three years with, with Judas at his side virtually the entire time. They ate together. They traveled together. They taught together. And Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Like, I, can you imagine how Jesus felt in that moment when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and the troops come to arrest him and leading the way 
is his friend, Judas Iscariot, leading the troops to come arrest him. Like, like for some of you, you don't even have to think too hard or wonder what that was like because there's people in here who have betrayed you in that same way. People have wounded you in, in that same type of manner. There's nothing like being hurt. There's nothing like being betrayed by people who you love the most, who you care about the most, who are closest to you. But Jesus, not only was he betrayed, but he also, he also faced, and this is the next source of offense, false accusation. Jesus faced false accusation. That, that when these sham trials were put on, he was brought up on, on these ridiculous charges. And, and if I'm being honest with you, if I'm just being transparent with you about, about me and my life, this is an area where I really struggle with feelings of unforgiveness. That on the, the list of these five things we're going to talk about this morning, this one is probably the most difficult one for me. Like, if, if, if you accuse me of something and, and I did it, hey, I, fair game. You know, you know I'll, I'll own that by all means. But, but it drives me nuts when you get accused of something that's not even true. When somebody treats you or responds to you differently about something that is not actually the case. And Jesus stood there. He took these false accusations that were leveled against him. And, and not only that, there were actually people that were paid to come to these trials to make up these false accusations against Jesus. They were paid to come and level these false accusations against him, which actually kind of leads into the next source of offense, uh, of offense because when, when, when all of these people were testifying against Jesus and saying all of these false things against him, you would think that one of the other 11, one, one of his closest friends, would have gotten up and said, no, no, that's not true. That's not accurate. They would have stood up to, in his defense, but not a single one did. And that next source of offense is rejection. And we've all felt this before, too. We've all felt rejected by others, by those that have been close to us. Jesus felt this from his closest friends. Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. And, and there are some in this room, and I, I would actually highlight some of our younger people especially, who are dealing with significant feelings of, of rejection, that, that our young people today often feel more isolated, more alone, more anxious, more rejected than at any time in history. Loneliness is an epidemic. And there's many here today where it's just like this open wound that every time you feel some sort of rejection from somebody else, it's just more salt being poured into that wound. And it feels like it never heals. And so it's easy to pull inside of ourselves. It's easy to to say, all right, I've been rejected so many times, I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm just going to isolate. I'm going to keep to myself. But beyond that, then Jesus goes through the horrific beatings, the whippings, the pain of the crucifixion. And I want you to write this word down, that the next source of offense is abuse. Jesus suffered tremendous abuse. If you've been abused, hurt, taken advantage of, I want you to know Jesus knows what that's like. He's been there. He knows what that's like. He suffered at the hands of others, physical, mental, emotional abuse. He, 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 he 
Jesus endured such abuse that the prophet Isaiah actually prophesied that he was beaten beyond recognition, that you could barely tell that he was a human being. And there's people in this room again who've walked through terrible abuse at the hands of other people. People that you thought you could trust. People that you thought had your back. And again, I want you to know that you're not alone. Jesus knows. Jesus understands. And after all of that, after all that Jesus went through, the last source of offense that I want to just kind of address this morning is humiliation. Because what was the common practice by the Romans at the time is when somebody was being crucified, like we see the paintings and all this, you know, Jesus had a a loincloth on or something like that, they would crucify you naked. Completely humiliated, completely exposed. And I'm quite certain we've all experienced that at one point or another too, where we've felt humiliated, we've felt exposed at the hands of somebody else. And church, I, like, I, I want you to know that Jesus, Jesus didn't go through all of that just because he thought it'd be fun. No, he, he actually went not just to pay for our sins. The writer of Hebrews says that he experienced all of that in Hebrews 2.17. And that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. Jesus could have avoided all of that but he voluntarily went through it so that he could understand what it was like to walk around in human flesh, that he could understand what it's like to walk in on this earth and experience all the things that you and I have experienced as well. Jesus knows. He understands. And and in that, there's not a single thing that we can't pray about that Jesus already does not have an intimate understanding and and an intimate knowledge of. There's nothing that we can't turn over to him where he says, man, I I don't know what that's like. No, he does understand. And, And when we talk about forgiveness, the wrestling match that we have isn't between you and the person that's hurt you, you and the person that's offended you. The wrestling match often happens within, within ourselves. Because we all have this idea, all right, I know I need to forgive others. I've never once felt like I wanted to forgive somebody. I've never once felt like I wanted to extend grace to somebody else. I've never once felt like letting it go. I would say it like this, it takes an act of our minds before it takes an act of our emotions because our emotions are going to feel like retaliating, going to feel like getting even. And there's such a great verse that really made me think and ponder on this in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, Since Christ suffered while he was in his body, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Think about that for a moment. What Peter is saying here, he says, Since Jesus suffered in the same way that we have all suffered in, in this life, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had. And if we're going to live a life that makes a difference in this world, if we're going to make a life that, that looks like Jesus, we, we have to strengthen ourselves in thinking the same way that Jesus thought. 
because Jesus thought differently than, than what our natural thoughts are. And, and, and I'm convinced that all too often we're not thinking about forgiveness the right way. We're not thinking about it the way that Jesus did. And so th- this isn't in your, in your notes, but I'd encourage you to write these down. There's, there's a few things I want to say about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It was a big deal. It did hurt. It was wrong. When you offer forgiveness, you're not, you're not taking any of those things away. You're not minimizing any of that. In fact, acknowledging that is, is a part of the forgiveness process. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation. And somebody in this room needs to hear that today. That forgiveness is not reconciliation. In order to forgive, it's not required that we go to the person and make it right. Now, hopefully that's the outcome, but we can't confuse the two because reconciliation is a two-player game. Reconciliation requires effort on your part and on the other person's part. Forgiveness is a one-person, a one-player game. And if you hold if you hold reconciliation as a requirement for forgiveness to take place, you're going to actually end up holding yourself hostage to the person who wounded you in the first place. Forgiveness is a one-player game. And, and oftentimes, forgiveness can seem impossible. It can, depending on, on how deep the hurt goes, forgiveness can seem like an impossible task. Like Jesus is asking me to do something that I physically i am unable to do. But the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In myself, yeah, it's an impossible task. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That we don't forgive in our own strength, but God strengthens us to do it. And in this, I'm asking that, that we trust Jesus and his way and his example of what it looks like to truly forgive of what it looks like to truly offer forgiveness to others, especially those who maybe aren't even asking it of you. So there's three things that I want to just touch on. The example that that Jesus taught, the example that Jesus gave to every single one of us when it deals with dealing with offense, dealing with hurt, dealing with unforgiveness. And the first thing, it seems so basic, the first thing is to pray for them to pray for them. The person who hurt you, the person who wounded you, Jesus is asking, would you be willing to pray for them? And quite honestly, like I, I, in, in our flesh, we, we would like to say, all right, God, I'm praying that they're going to get what's coming to them. You, you know, like we, we've all had experiences like that. If, if you read through Psalms, I, I think it's Psalm 57, David talks about, he, he's saying, God, would you break the teeth of, the, of those that are coming after me. Like, I was thinking, man, that's, that's nasty. <laughs> like, yeah. like I, and I was thinking, yes, that's what I'm praying about. No, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to take it up a notch, to love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. Praying for them. Lord, I I forgive those who hurt me. God, I ask you to touch them. I ask that you would minister to them, that they would be able to experience you and the freedom that only you can offer. 
but I pray that you would change their life and that they would know you more. And they, the other person may never respond to that prayer. Their life may never change, but I guarantee you, if you're praying for those that have hurt you and wounded you deeply, their life might not change, but yours will. Because it's impossible. It is impossible to hate somebody that you're praying for. But Jesus didn't stop there. He also raised it another notch even. He said, I don't want you just to pray for them. I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them. The word bless means to speak well of. That, that I'm, not going, I'm not going to let a curse come across my lips towards that person, whether privately or publicly. I'm going to speak well of them. I'm going to speak well of those who have wronged me. And man, that's a hard one to swallow right there. Because when we've been hurt, our natural inclination is we want other people to know about it. We want other people to know how rotten that person was the way that they did that to you. That's what, that's what we want to do. That's what, that's what feels right in that moment. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 20, verse 27, he says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Paul said the exact same thing in Romans as well. He says to, to bless those who persecute you, do not curse them. And, and, and there's times where we might just want to vent our feelings. And, and what we're saying may be factual, it may be accurate. And I wish I could say that I've always gotten this right, and I definitely have not. I definitely have not. It, it, it reminded me, uh, thinking about this, uh, of, of blessing those who have hurt you and wounded you. It made me think back to when I was a teacher prior to going into ministry. And I had, I had a young man in, my, in one of my classes. His name was Demetrius. And, and he was one of those kids that just drove you nuts. Like, teachers, where are you at? Like, you, you, know, you know the kind of student I'm talking about, where he just drives you crazy. Like, everything is just a battle. Everything is a fight. And, like, for teachers, like you kind of hope, like, oh, I hope he's sick today. Like, I, 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 I just, just so I can breathe, I, like, I just hope he's just not going to be here today. Well, Demetrius was one of those kids where, like, he was going to win the perfect attendance award. Like, his mom made sure he was going to be at school. And I'm sure she had an ulterior motive for that. So whether he was sick or not, Demetrius was there. He was at school. And one day, like, I, I had just kind of had enough of him. Like, I, I, I was ready to have a come-to-Jesus moment with Demetrius where I was just going to say, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Like, what is your deal? And, and I, went to, I went to, like, have this conversation with Demetrius. And I'm, I'm going to trust it was the, the Holy Spirit working in me instead of, rehearsing this speech that I had in my head and laying into him and letting him know what I thought, I, I, I said to him in this moment, you know, one of the things I love about you, Demetrius, is you are the most consistent member of this class. You are here every single day. And it was true. And, and in the back of my head, it's like, that's not the speech you rehearsed. Like, that's, that's, not, what you, that's not what you really wanted to say. But God brought something to mind for me a couple weeks later because Demetrius' mom had to come to the school for something. And I heard her lay into him 
cussing him up one side of the street and down the other. And I thought, man, had I laid into him like I wanted to, what would that have accomplished? Like in Demetrius' life, who was there to speak life and blessing and encouragement to him? I'm extrapolating this, but like I, I would venture to say he heard very, very little positive blessings in his life aimed his way, even though he was a pain in the butt. I'm quite certain he didn't hear much blessing in his life. And sometimes, sometimes you have to look pretty hard, you know, to find something to speak well of them about. But Jesus said, I want you to pray for them. I want you to bless them. But again, he didn't even stop there. He said, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it up one more notch. One more notch. And he says, I want you to do good to them. Not just pray for them, not just bless them, but I want you to do good to them. I, I'm going to go out of my way to find something good that I can do to those who have wronged me. And pay, pay attention to the way that Paul talks about this in Romans 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. God, God wants us to trust him with the results. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Take him to the grocery store. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Man, that's a tall order that Paul was writing about here. And Paul had experience with this. The number of things, that the beatings that Paul took, the imprisonments, getting run out of town, the, the things that Paul had to deal with over and over and over again. And he says, yeah, those enemies of yours, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Bless them. Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. I, I heard a story a, a while back. Uh, from Joyce Meyer. She shared this in, uh, I'm sure she shared in some of her books, but I heard her shared in, in a speaking conference she gave one time, and she talked about how when she was a young girl, her father had raped her over 200 times. She, she knew the exact number in her head because the memories were so vivid. It was something that was so real in, in her mind. And, and many years later, before, or when she became the Joyce Meyer we know today, she came across that verse that we were just talking about in Romans 12. And she felt like God was challenging her, saying, you need to reach out to your dad. And she ended up building him a house next door to her house. She paid for his insurance. She paid his bills. And, and, and he never once apologized to her for all that had happened. And eventually, towards the end of her father's life, he finally did come to her at one point, and he profusely apologized for what he had done to her, and he gave his life to Christ. Joyce Meyer ended up baptizing her father, the father that had violated her over 200 times as a, as a child, and shortly after that, he passed away, having been made right with God. And, and, and I say that 
I, I, I share this example because she said something so profound. She said, I'm no longer sorry that it happened to me. Now, it wasn't right. It doesn't make it right, but I experienced the power of God in my life like I had. I've, I, excuse me. I had never experienced the power of God in my life like I had when I forgave my dad because on my own, I could not have done it. And I experienced the power of God in my life in that moment like I never had before. It, it's such a powerful story. And so I want, I want to end with a few final words that Jesus shared. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he said, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. We, we have freely been given and offered forgiveness by God. He says, I want you to freely give it to others as well. Not hold it over their heads. Not holding on to unforgiveness on your own. But I want you to freely give it. And this is the final point I want to share, that the forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. And, and it doesn't, that doesn't make it easy. But it's something for us to strive for. And, I, and so just to close, I want to share with you a, a quote that C.S. Lewis shared one time. And he said, to be a Christian means that we forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. Being a Christian means that we forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. And I, I'm very aware that a message like this can be both encouraging and painful at the same time. Like, I, I recognize that, and, I, and I'm sorry for what you have had to go through. I'm sorry for the wounds that you carry to this day. The things that have been done, the things that have been said, the violations that have occurred. And even though I don't know all the details, nor do I need to, I'm sorry for what the pain and the abuse and the mistreatment has meant to you. But Jesus knows. Jesus understands. And, and I want us to consider something as we prepare to take communion this morning. We're going to close out our message today, and we're going to take communion together. And I'll, I'll invite the band to come forward if you guys uh, would, would come up here. But something I want us to consider this morning before we take communion, that, that when we take and participate in the Lord's Supper we can only partake in, in we can only participate in, in communion because of what God has done for us, because God has forgiven us, that his sacrifice that we remember when we take the, the cup that represents his blood and and the bread that represents his body. Like we're so grateful for the forgiveness that Jesus has freely given and extended to each one of us. For the fact that he has forgiven the inexcusable in each one of us. And I, and I think about this because there's, there's no way I can possibly forgive anybody else in my life more than God has already forgiven <coughs> for the things that I've done, the things that I've been through and, and gone through. And Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 11 when he was talking about when, when the, the body of Christ comes together and they take communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, he, he says, I want you to examine yourselves before you take communion. And often when we hear that, like we think, all right, I, I'm going to examine myself, see if there's any unconfessed sin that I might have in my life, if there's anything that I need to, to make right. 
with God. But this morning, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily meaning for us to examine ourselves if we have any unconfessed sin, although if, if you do, by all means. But, but what I want to encourage all of us to do right now, just take a moment and examine, is there any unforgiveness I have in my heart? Is there anybody who's wounded me that I'm holding on to grudge? I'm holding on to that unforgiveness. I've not let that go. And while the band plays softly, I want you just to take a moment. We're just going to be quiet for just a second. And I want you just to think, is, is there somebody I need to forgive? Is there somebody that, I, that has wounded me, who has hurt me, that I just need to let go, that I need to, I need to pray for them, I need to bless them, I need to do, some, do good to them? Is there something I've been holding on to? And, and I recognize that this can be painful for many. But quietly, quietly, let's just search and listen if there's anybody that God brings to mind. right now and I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward to prepare our communion elements as, as I pray. I want you just to pray along with me as we get ready to take communion. Father, I, I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, that you have experienced everything that we've gone through, that the pain and the heartache and the hurt, the abuse, the mistreatment, Lord, all of those things that we have faced and dealt with, Lord, that you dealt with as well. And I, I'm so grateful that we serve a, a Savior who's experienced those same things. And God, every one of us in this room, we, we have those hurts. We have those things that, that people have done, people have said. And maybe, maybe it is abuse. Maybe it's a, a violation. Maybe somebody is spreading a rumor. Somebody went behind your back. God, for those of us in this room that we've been holding on to some unforgiveness, Lord, we want to let it go today. That before we come to this table, before we take the, this cup and this bread together and remind ourselves of the forgiveness that you've freely given us, Lord, God, we want to freely forgive. We, we want to let go of those things. We want to let go of those hurts. We want, we want to let go, even if that person isn't even here any longer. Lord, that we, we would just physically open up our hands and say, God, I'm letting it go. That I'm choosing to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving, but I'm choosing to forgive. 
doesn't make what happened right, doesn't fix or correct any of that, but Lord, I need to let go. God, I'm asking you to bless the person that hurt me. I'm asking you to bless the person that wounded and offended me. God, I'm asking you to do something amazing in their life. That they would experience you. They would experience your power. God, that they would experience your forgiveness. So Lord, I, I, I just thank you. I thank you, God, that we don't do this on our own. That, that, that in ourselves, we, we can't, we, we can't feel, offering this forgiveness feels impossible, Lord. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, Lord. And God, we ask for your strength to forgive. And we thank you, God, for forgiving us. God, we thank you for the, the, the endless amount of grace you have shown to each one of us, Lord. God, forgiveness can be a process. And I just pray that for, for those in the room that maybe they need to talk through that process. God, that they would feel bold enough. They would, they would feel at home enough in this church body to say, okay, this is what happened to me and, I, and, I, and I'm struggling. I, I get this idea of forgiveness, but I'm having a hard time doing it. God, that you would help us in that. Father, we love you so very much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.